God is in the business of giving life to dead things. Sounds kind of a contradiction, doesn't it? Lord willing, what I'd like to do is look at about four or five examples of the way God tends to operate. Seems to be what he majors in. And then what I'd like to do is bear down a little bit and go to uh, some, sal- some references to eternal salvation. I felt like in the past we've done about three Sundays on a, a, a small series on Thanksgiving. We've done just completed the book of Ephesians, but it was a long time since we were in chapters one or two. So every once in a while I just kind of get itching to get back to some basic doctrine, and that's what today is. Uh, you can call it PB 101. But uh, what I'd like to do is uh, go through a couple examples, and we're going to start in Genesis 1. And let me read verses 2 and 3. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now think about that. Without form, void, and darkness. That's inert, passive, nothingness. And God created light from nothing. Notice that when this light was created, the stars and the moon and the sun have not yet been created. Light came from God in God alone. That stuff was not created until day four. And all he did was speak it, and it immediately happened. This was not an evolutionary process. This was immediate creation. Okay, illustration number one. Illustration number two, Romans chapter four. God created a nation from a dead womb. May sound a little strange, but let me read this passage. Let me start reading in verse 17. And that is, I'm sorry, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and called those things which, came, which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead, now this is reproductively dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, again, talking about reproductively dead. If we would go back and, and look at this, somewhere around Genesis 12, it says she was barren, she was 65, and she was not able to conceive till 90. So it's kind of like God waited, okay, there's about menopause. I'm going to wait an extra 25 years just to make sure you know this is of God and not of men. Okay? Verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that he had promised he was able to perform. So here's an example of God giving life to a womb. He gave an entire life to an entire nation out of something dead. Okay? Let's go to another example, Ezekiel 16. Now, I I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point was God specializes in giving life 
to things that don't have life. Okay? We just saw an example of the light creation. We saw the second example of um, conception through something that was physically impossible. The third one is an abortion. An abortion. I'm in Ezekiel 16. That I'm going to just read a few passages from there. But in this particular passage, a baby was born and it was just cast out into an open field. And I believe that baby was dead. The description makes, in my mind, that the baby is dead, a discarded newborn. Verse 4, And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou was born, thy navel was not cut, that's the umbilical cord, neither was thou washed in water to supple thee, thou was not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. A baby was born, and they didn't do anything to the baby except chunk it out on the back 40. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou was cast out in an open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. God spoke, and the baby was born. No, God spoke, and that dead baby was made alive. Okay? Verse 7. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou increased and waxen great. And thou art come to the excellent ornaments, thy breasts are fashioned, thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, the time came of love. I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, said the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away the blood from thee, and I anointed thee, I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. Okay, a baby's cast out. And the baby is fed, and cleaned, and anointed, and clothed, and nurtured. And as the baby grows up, it's been taken on as a wife. And then guess what happened? But thou didst trust thine own beauty and played the harlot because of thy renown and poured out thy fornications of every one that passed by. The question is, is when was the baby made alive? When God spoke? When God washed it, when God clothed it, when God anointed it, when God married it? Or was it made alive and then it die again when it played the harlot? Now on Wednesday night, y'all would answer. But here, well, I can't answer on a Sunday morning in the sanctuary. But, but when was it made alive? The answer is when God spoke. That's when life came. It was immediate. It was instantaneous. This was not an evolution. This is another example. Okay? That's number three. 
God is in the business of making dead things alive. Number four, John 11. This is Lazarus. Here's an account that you should know pretty well. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wast believed, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44 And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. My question to you again is, when did he become alive? Did he come alive when Jesus spoke? Did he come alive when Jesus had him float forward? Or did he come alive when his friends unwrapped him? And the answer is, it's when he spoke, right? When he spoke. Hmm. Got one more. Resurrection. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is on the last day. There's all in the graves, and there's some that are alive. We can all read this in 1 Thessalonians 4, but I'm going to take the version that's described in 15, 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I showed you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. My friends, this is not going to take 30 years, 40 years, or 1,000 years. It's a moment in the twinkling eye at the sound of a trump, instantaneous, when God speaks, the dead are going to be raised. And those that are alive are going to be caught up with the Lord in heaven. This is a quick thing. It's not a process. For this, I'm sorry, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall thee be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Boom, Jesus is going to come by, back. He's going to speak. The dead are going to come out just like Lazarus did. Every one of his elect. Instantaneous, they're going to be caught up with the Lord. They're going to have glorified bodies, and they'll be with the Lord forevermore. That's good news, isn't it? God is in the business of making dead things alive. That's the way he operates. Okay, now I want to do some reasoning with you. I want to do some reasoning with you. Okay? Okay. I want to talk to you about fatherhood. I've got about four reasonings I want to do with you right now. Fatherhood. Every time you look at Scripture, God is always depicted as a male. Never is God depicted as a female. And every time you see the church, the church is depicted as a female. 
Got it? The church is never depicted as a male. Children are always begotten by the father. Never does a woman begot a child. It's the language of the Bible. Let me give you a couple examples, okay? Matthew 1, 5 and 6, and I picked this passage because there's several begats there, but notice there's women mentioned, but notice how the women are mentioned as opposed to the way the fathers are mentioned. Got this? In Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her, Bathsheba, that had been the wife of Urias. This is important in a second when we're talking about spiritual birth. Brother Danny's going, oh, I see where you're going, I see where you're going, I think. The begetting is always by the father. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and, he be, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father. This is Jesus Christ. Amen? The only person on earth that is begotten of the Father is Jesus. Everybody else was begotten by another man. And through the inheritance, we got our father, Adam's genetics, unfortunately, right? I got another passage for you that I always like to do this, especially around this time of year when we get close to December. I like to read Genesis 21. Sarah's going to have a baby. Look at this language. Is there any doubt in your mind whose baby this is? Read this passage, okay? For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him. And Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac being eight days old. And God had commanded him and Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. God, what are you trying to tell me? Okay? Did you know it's really amazing when you read this passage? Every time you read this passage, cross out Abraham and put in God. And cross out Sarah and put in Mary. And then you'll find out, oh, Jesus was God's son. Amen? God is very emphatic when you're talking about the beginning that it comes through the Father. Okay. Let me ask you some questions about spiritual fruit. Okay. The first set of reasoning I wanted to talk about was the beginning. Now I want to talk about spiritual fruit. I'm going to ask you this question. Actually, I've been toying with this question. Uh, a preacher friend asked me this question, and I've actually asked uh, Brandon this maybe a couple Wednesdays ago. Think about it this way. In Galatians 5, and we're going to read this in just a second. In Galatians 5, if faith is a fruit of the Spirit, can we have faith before regeneration? 
Is it possible? The answer is no. Amen? If faith is a function of the Spirit, you can't have faith before the Spirit. It comes after. That's where the fruit comes. All right, let's read this passage. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, that these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Well, a question I have written down here. If a person's flesh can do no good, how can she, he or she choose Christ before regeneration? Can't do it. But if you're being led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And here's a whole list of sins that are listed here. And these are things that, what these Galatians used to do. I'm going to skip down to verse 22 now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now once again, faith is a fruit of the Spirit, so without the Spirit, you can't have faith. That seems like pretty straightforward reasoning. But notice this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections of the lusts. How can I, without the Spirit, walk in the Spirit? Can't do it. How can I, without the Spirit, crucify the flesh? What would fight the flesh? Can't do it. See, that's got to come through first. So all of a sudden, I'm using some reasoning on you. The beginning comes from the Father. Faith comes from the Spirit. The Spirit comes from the Father. I'm just trying to get some cause and effect relationships down. Okay? Let's keep on going. I want to talk about redemption. You'll see where I'm going in just a second. I've got just, I just picked four verses. And this is, this is a passage, or this is a sermon I think I probably preached to you when I first got here over 10, about 10 years ago. It's one of my favorite all-time sermons that I've ever preached. I call it 46 Past Tense Verbs. Brother Danny's going, I remember that one. I love that, I love that passage. I love that sermon. I can't tell you how many times I've used it over the years. I found 46 past tense verbs to describe the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. God, why did you use 46 past tense verbs to describe what Jesus did on the cross? I mean, were you trying to be like I was when I was in 10th grade, trying to be fancy in the English paper, grabbing a thesaurus and sounding smart, using a lot of different words to describe the same thing? And the answer is no. The reason I believe is when I am talking to someone in the medical profession, I can use the word healed. Or if I'm talking to a soldier, I can use wounded. Or if I'm talking to an accountant, I can use reconciled. Or if I'm talking to a computer programmer, I can use purged. Or if I'm talking to a mother, a homemaker, I could use the word washed. Or if I'm talking to a four-year-old little kid, I could use the word, words, put away. He's got something for everybody. If I'm talking to a judge, I could use pardoned. If I'm talking to a banker, I could use made surety. He's got one for everybody. Brother Dolph, you're expecting to memorize in 46 verbs? Well, it wouldn't hurt you. Okay? 
but I want you to look at just four of these. I've only grabbed four of these. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sins and he removed them. My friends, that was instantaneous. That is not a process. Do you understand? There's nothing we do to add to that to make that go in effect. He removed our sins. And I go, praise the Lord. Right? Hebrews 1.3 Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things that by the power, by his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He purged our sins. When you purge something, you remove it. When you have a file and you purge the file from a computer, you hit delete. It always asks you that question, are you sure you want to delete this? And it makes you scared, but then you, yes. And then it's gone. That's what Jesus did to our sins. He purged them. Do you know what happens when they've gone you can't make him go and put him back on you. They're gone. He's used word like abolished. Those are words to describe what he did to your sins. My friend, that was instantaneous. Okay. Hebrews 9.26. This is my favorite for little kids. If you ever had a child that knows how to put their toys away, this is a good verse for a three or a four-year-old. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put the sin away. All the toys made it to the toy box. Nothing got left out on the floor. Nothing's half hanging out the drawer. They're all put away. Look at those other words in there. In Hebrews 1.3, it says he purged our sins, but he says, just in case you want to take some credit, it said he did it by himself. Just in case you think that, you think there's a little bit more to it, in Hebrews 9.20, he said he did it once. Doesn't have to do it again. And the last one I have, Revelations 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. Our sins have been removed, they've been purged, they've been put away, and now they've been washed. Past completed action. It's done. I don't have to go back and go through a rinse cycle. It's done. My sins are gone. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. This is where I want to differentiate what I believe from a lot of other folks. Now, this is not preaching down my nose. There are eternal salvation is for immediate actions of God 
to get us into heaven. Okay? The first action is by God the Father. The second action is by Jesus Christ. The third action is by the Holy Spirit. And the last action, the fourth action, is resurrection. It's by all three of them. Okay? Four immediate actions of the Holy Spirit. Four of the Godhead. The Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and then them all together. Okay? God the Father planned our eternal salvation long before people existed. The Son paid the debt 2,000 years ago, and he did it for some people that had long been since dead, and he did it people that some people that hadn't yet been born. But it was done legally. The Spirit gave life, gives life, and will give life to every single child of God sometime in their life. It could happen really early, like John the Baptist was still in the womb, and it can happen very late in someone's life. Like someone like, let's say, the thief on the cross. It, there's no fruit of the Spirit from them that it could have happened really late in his life, like maybe even moments before. Not sure. All three persons will be active in the last day when the dead are raised, when the alive are being caught up. The Holy Spirit will be given life to those that are raised, to those that Jesus called, and we'll all be scooped up to God. All three persons will be involved there. But that's an immediate action. The planning was immediate. Regeneration is immediate. The atonement was immediate. And the resurrection will be immediate. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad he left me out of that deal. I can't mess it up. You know the old the saying, a, a, a chain is strong as its weak link, as weakest link? That would be me if I was in there. But it's not. The weakest link is the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Man, there's no weak links in there at all. Everyone that was predestinated will be glorified. None will fall out. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's look at some regeneration verses. I got five, and then we'll start wrapping it up. Okay? Spiritual birth. I believe these five verses all describe spiritual verse. I want you to notice the language of them. Okay? <clears throat> First one, 2 Corinthians 4.6. What does this sound like? But God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. These are paraphrased because I couldn't fit them all on the screen for you. I'm sorry. Shine the light out of darkness, shine in our hearts to give light of knowledge of the glory of the sun in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> you know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like creation. Regeneration is likened to creation. God sought out that which, dark, which was dark and without life. Well... That's exactly what it says here. He shined the light onto our dead soul. Our dead soul. Okay. Come on. I got a heart here. I'm, I, I know I'm a good guy. That's not what Jeremiah said. You can't know the heart. Okay. Here's the second one. Romans 2.29, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, a circumcision of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, not of men, but of God. 
See, you, we want to take credit. And he's, every time he's talking to me, he says, it's not of you. It's not of men. It's not of my thoughts. It's not of my parents' thoughts. It's not the preacher's thought. This happened by God. It was a circumcision. And I ask you, how much input does an eight-year-old baby have in circumcision? And the answer is none. It's very passive. How much? Why would God use circumcision to describe the circumcision of the heart if it's really of you? And it's not because he says it's not of men. The Jewish rabbi didn't do this circumcision. This was of God on a passive person. Helpless. Titus 3, 4, and 5. The love of the Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done. I want some credit. And he keeps taking away from me. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God alone worked on that which was lifeless. Number three, John five twenty five. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. This is like Lazarus, the one we just read. Jesus was in a cemetery. Amen? You've heard this before. And he spoke, Lazarus live. How many people came out of the cemetery and lived that day? The answer is one. Why? Because he only called Lazarus' name. It's like when he had that 12-year-old little girl. He says, damsel, I said unto thee, arise. And she arose. He called his name. That was life-giving instant. Who does God give life to? Stinky corpses. That's what he did here. A stinky corpse. Huh. Are you calling me stinky corpse? Probably a compliment, huh? I go up to Second Corinthians 4, 6. You've heard me make this joke before. God, in creation, he took a bunch of dirt and he made an atom pie. Not a, you know, a little atom pie. And then he breathed life into the nostrils of this mud pie, this atom pie. And he gave it life. And when I read a passage like this, I always make the same, same silly joke because I just want to drive it home. Brother Dolph, are you calling me dirt? That's an insult, isn't it? And I go, no, it's an insult to the dirt. No, that's what we are. We're dirt, lifeless. And God's action is the one that did it. And then the last one, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, when we were dead in sins, God specializes, he majors, his business is in giving life to the lifeless. And that's what he did for you and I. I praise the Lord for that. So, God works on the dead and the discarded. He works on the lifeless. He works on the inert. He works on the stinky. He works on the corrupt. And you know what? That describes us pretty well, doesn't it? Brother Toff, I came here to feel good. 
I hope it does because that's what you were. But through the action of God, not yours, the action of God, that's not you anymore. He called you dirt, you've been washed. You called been stinky, you've been purged. That stinkiness has been removed in the sight of God. He looks at you through Jesus' blood and he sees something white and clean. How that happens, I don't know. All I know why it happens, it says, love, grace, and mercy. Not by works which we have done. That's the God we worship. If that's not reason to give thanksgiving, I don't know what else is. When we realize what we are, where we've come from, I'm so thankful this scheme of salvation, and I'm so thankful he told me about it. Praise the Lord. And I pray I will have the strength to share it. Not that I'm going to save anybody from their sins, but that I can save them from the ignorance of their sins, take a weight off their shoulder that no person can bear except Jesus Christ who bore it for us. So I pray that this message here that we've gone over is we've brought up a lot of things of um, the doctrine that we believe, it brought it to your memory. And I also pray that it also refreshes us in a way that gives us an excitement to share it. You're going to meet a lot of people over the next couple weeks, a lot of different situations. As we roll into December, they say there's a reason for the season. Believe it or not, it's not slow supply chains or things out of stock or credit card balances. We're going to have opportunity to share the finished work of Jesus Christ, why he came. And I pray that we take advantage of that. May the Lord bless us to do it as an entire congregation. A couple Sundays ago, I preached a message on Rahab. And I'd probably come back and hit this message probably real soon. But I want you to notice that when Israel went to the Jordan River, it said everybody went. And went to they went to take Jericho, everybody went. And when they went to Ai the first time, they only sent a couple. Didn't work out too well. And then they went a second time, and everybody went. Not everybody, everybody. Everybody. Okay? We want revival in this church. Everybody got to do it. Amen? May the Lord bless you. Thank you.